0: Visit Stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Something is creeping, don't follow it Hi listeners, welcome back to episode two of the Tonka Trilogy's bonus series. The autobiography penned by serial con artist Andrew Tonks to convince my little sister Emma that he has lived a life worthy of a ghostwriter. Introduction. A brief on the possible
1: ghostwriter or myself, depending on my skill and ability. My spelling and punctuation suck, so more likely someone else interviewing me. He's literally thinking he's writing this. We're going to be really feel bad if this is a true story.
0: (laughs) Well, spoiler alert this won't be populating the non fiction shelves of your local library anytime soon. And as I said last episode, apologies for the not so flash audio at my end of this recording. The lesson there always be prepared. You just never know when the world's most unassuming spy is getting ready to spill the tea. So let's fire up the time machine and head back to April 2019. We are back. Sarah is
1: feeling warmer. I'm feeling cooler because it's really hot in here. Today is April 10th, 2019. If uh, you don't hear from me, you know where to look. Okay, so where we're at, he's at high school, he's, he's finding himself. Two things became obvious to me as I progressed through high school. One, the bullying had stopped. And two, I was badly distracted by the more senior female population of the school. <gasps> by the time I hit year nine, 14, as in 14 year old, I'd grown to the height I am now, 182 centimetres. Just note if you are resting him, that's the centimetres needs to be at when you're doing the, <laughs> the <racket. laughs> 182 centimetres, dark eyes, and a yeah. six-pack to die for. No, not anymore, let's be honest. And I was <laughs> weighing in at 85kgs, 80, apparently obese according to the old school measurements graph. These obese titles gave me a mini-complex, but others I was, in their words, ripped. I wish mean, to be back in the good old days, sad face emoji. Oh my God. What are you
0: thinking right
1: now when you read that? My stomach feels sick, and yeah. yet still going. This is not real. I can't even believe he sent it to me. Like, who?
0: who? No, nobody. I can't believe he sent it to you. The guy is next level.
1: And what I'm thinking is, I've still got 24 hours of playing this Rouge because I want to get his next installment. <laughs> <laughs> so, just to clarify, he still owes me $100,000. Yeah. And
0: yeah.
1: the story he's telling. Okay, right. I was terribly shy, and despite having a number of female friends in my year, I was definitely not going to get out of the friend zone anytime soon. I'm still incredibly shit at that, despite what you will read. Who knows what's going on? Oh out. my god! I was flying through my okay. karate karate gradings and was on, on my way to becoming the youngest black belt within our organisation. Of course you were. At the completion of year 10, my friends had all got their learner's driver's licence. Fun times ahead. I continued to train hard with my karate, up to four nights a week. Sorry, Mum, and my water skiing had to lead lead to competition skiing. I was fascinated by girls, and a number of these girls had taken my suggestion to come along to try karate. I was bloody hopeless, and I would hardly talk to them at the classes, as I was so embarrassed in my PJ-like setup. It was, however, not oh, lost not lost oh, on God. me how distracting they became to me in their PJ-like setup. It was fair to say I definitely knew I wasn't gay. Yeah. I later discovered they were getting just as much enjoyment out of my uniform and physique I got further oh. confidence out of getting compliments from a number of these girls saying Gee, you are good at this My instructor had also picked up on my ability And just after my 16th birthday He asked for me to go for my black belt grading A four hour grueling event in front of the most senior instructors in the country Including one <laughs> Japanese master Throughout the grading, I desiccated my finger, broke a knuckle and fractured my big toe. This all happened within the first hour. I made no obvious signs towards my injuries and I put my finger back into place midway through a sparring hand-to-hand combat test. Oh my God.
0: He's so tough.
1: At the completion of my grading, so physically exhausted I could hardly stand, the Japanese master... Oh, i do not read this bit. This is getting good. The Japanese master invited me up Onto the viewing platform, he asked me to kneel. Oh, my God. And then he presented me with a cup of Japanese tea to drink. While I mustered up the energy to lift the cup to my mouth, he unveiled a black belt and black pants. Yay, no more white pants. (laughs) (laughs) And presented these to me, laid out across his arms, and with his head bowed to me. I instantly bowed my head and accepted the belt and pants from his outreach arms. He then grabbed me by the arm and slowly turned me to face the other members of the grading team and organisation.
0: Hold on, was he not going for
1: a black belt? He was, but he got it, and the ceremony really made a moment for him. Oh, right, so
0: this is a turning point for him.
1: Okay, I'm feeling it's a turning point because he's really elaborated on it. I had not noticed a crowd of 100 people watching from the sidelines. I looked out over the senior, up to fourth Dan black belts. Fully grown men that I had to battle with. Guys of six foot plus in the absolute prime of their life. They could no longer kneel for the master and were lying sitting in exhaustion. (laughs) It's great. The master then gently said to me, I have never, oh God, I'm like, I can't help, you know, I'm bad with accents. I have never seen a young man block out such a physical and mental pain. That's not my Japanese accent, by the way. And battle adversity in the way I've witnessed it today. Be proud, but be careful. Your strength has not gone unnoticed
0: today. Oh my god. I mean, the vision that he's given me is him in the middle and then just sea of people, carnage on the ground. He's like Lara Croft.
1: It was one of the single most humbling and creepy experiences I've ever had. Only
0: well, a...
1: similar to the one we're having now. <laughs> exactly. Deja vu, anybody? <laughs> Only a few years after was I reunited with the master and his immense presence at his funeral in Japan. I have been invited oh. by the master himself via his family. Twelve fellow Shotokon style of karate. Practitioners had been invited to attend three days of Shinto, ancient Japanese religion and Buddhist ceremony, eight of whom were Japanese. I have never felt so welcome in a foreign and traditional experience. Okay, so he's done a hell of a lot of research into this to get to that point. He might have known, but see, some of
0: the best lies are in fact, yeah, aren't they? True. So maybe he did do karate.
1: I, I think I he has done karate. Kind of deaf- he has done some karate, I believe. Well, no, I don't believe. I don't know what I believe. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean,
0: is he saying the dead guy invited him? Because that's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, you know, make them alive. That's more
1: believable. No, well, no, like he's saying. Uh, only a short few years, later, a few years later, was I reunited with the Master and his immense presence at his funeral in Japan. I have been invited by the master himself via his family.
0: So, do we think this is true or not true, this bit?
1: <laughs> true, false. I want to phone a friend. I'd like to phone someone that was in his life.
0: <laughs> you should get your clairvoyant person to ask the dead Shinto guy. <laughs> if it's real.
1: But let's leave that one for a later story. Mind. Because we need some facts. This is facts in front of me right now.
0: Right, true, sorry. Let's stick to the
1: facts. <laughs> Years 11 and 12, College in Australia. For these two special years, you get to move to another school. You step from a school of about 80 students per year to 600 per year, 1,200 students in total. This is where you decide if you want to go to university, and if so, you need to decide what path to take. All I knew is a good old friend from primary school, Carl. I'm going to come back to Carl and I'm going to come back to Sam because these guys are in the lies. Okay had ended up back in the same location after attending a different high school. And a fellow great mate from high school, Sam, also came to college to enjoy our newfound freedom. You'll find Sam and Carl included in later episodes. And this is all because, apparently, he's been a part of ASIO, the Australian Secret uh, Intelligence Office, I want to say, organisation. Had to Google it, didn't know about it and Carl helped to contract him, This sketch comes up in the story, and put him over to work in Afghanistan and do some military work. Obviously it's all in the downloads, but why nobody actually knows about this. Sam is still currently, apparently, working for ASIO in Melbourne. Um, let's see if that one's true.
0: I mean, there's a cluster of kids from high school that all work for the same military.
1: <laughs> yeah, they've been hand-picked, yeah.
0: Um,
1: okay, I think I've okay. this maybe. <laughs> remember, sorry, remember this introduction as it becomes important down the track. Uh huh. Spoiler alert. Sorry, guys. Uh, as my future plans only extended as far as becoming a professional sports person of some sort, my university entrance decision, decisions were completely based on what classes had the most girls in them. I've heard this story before. Oh He's told God. me this. This happened to be psychology and sociology and psychopathy. Oh. Yeah, I was literally the only guy in my psychology class and ashamedly to admit out of the 40 girls in the class I didn't get a chance to get any extra curricular activities with any of them Sam informed me on his bucks night that I had greatly missed out after providing me an assessment on a few of The poor girls from the class that he had done some after-hours homework with bastard Yeah, I don't want to know. Despite the female distractions, it turns out, without me knowing, my psychology and sociology marks combined with some other skills got me a significant job offer about 10 years in the future. What? Well, it's obviously his training there helped him long term. Oh, God. Okay, so now he's fucked himself over. Beep. The next line is, I attended the University of Tasmania for a total of three weeks before I realised it was my time to make some money. He went for three weeks and yet people realised that his marks were so good in three weeks he got a significant job offer
0: Yeah, that's like orientation week Meet the lecturers and buy your stationery week (laughs) Buy your stationery week So, Sorry, is he actually saying he only did three weeks of this course and that's what led him to the
1: job Look, look this is the facts I have in front of me today (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what chapter we're up to? No three now. We're up to three. Oh
0: god, I don't want it to go too fast. <laughs> Carry on.
1: Chapter three, sport. The conflict of wanting to do everything and a body that wanted to do nothing.
0: I this... feel that pain actually to be fair.
1: Well you've had cancer, so do you <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Um, yeah. this section is condensed and will be expanded at a later stage oh so I oh briefly touched on my martial arts and my water skiing from the ages of 15 to 21 I was competing for Tasmania and Australia in water ski jumping ski racing and water wakeboarding now I'd like to clarify here that while we all thought this was a joke and this is where some of the stories were not sure if they were correct or not when I first met Andrew he had fractured his hip and had a hip replacement and uh, Four weeks before I'd met him, and five months after that surgery for a hip replacement, he decided to water ski and one ski. I must admit it was quite impressive for the unit that he is to do, and so that's where sometimes I got the stories were like, well, he can do that, and it's amazing. Yeah, I think that's
0: the thing. The beauty of everything he said is that's part truth and everything, because I looked him up and... He came fourth in a competition wakeboarding.
1: I've tried to look him up with all that stuff and have not been able to find him. Oh
0: my God, Emma, I did not stop last night. I was like <laughs> on him like white on rice. But, um, carry on.
1: Throughout those years, I spent my entire summer traveling the country and sometime internationally. These travels with older members of the ski teams, often almost 10 years older than me. Man, did I get an education and unfortunately also got a drinking problem. He's bringing up oh, his
0: alcoholism. First
1: we trained hard and we partied harder. Sometimes if we were on the road, six of us would cram into a car and drive for days to get to the next weekend's events. At one event weekend, we had all made the podium in our specialty fields and some of us had won multiple events. We did the calculations that night and six of us in the car had just pocketed 180,000 for roughly 10 minutes work. This might not seem a lot these days, but for six people aged 25, fair to say we were on the top of the world. So he got prize money, basically, for winning at these <laughs> events. So like, he's shown me videos of this as well, like of people I've doing I've seen it.
0: online. I've Googled that picture of the 150 people behind
1: the boats. Yeah, which apparently he's proud of.
2: zoom
1: in. You <laughs> try to zoom in. Yeah, Tas- <laughs> Tasmania's got the record for the most people to pull behind a boat. And apparently he's in the middle because he can handle the wake and everything. But who knows? Okay. We repeated the success approximately 10 times in one season when I was 17. So the parties became bigger. I developed a huge tolerance to alcohol and that became a party trick in itself. I probably didn't get hungover because I probably never sobered up. There were some great times and great friends made. Oh my God. I don't even know if I can say this one. This is hilarious. I lost my virginity in the way any bloke would love to say. A threesome. And yes, with two girls. Oh my God. We later later described the experience at an award dinner a couple of years afterwards as a blind man trying to find his way out of a china shop. I soon discovered people got a huge enjoyment, something the girls probably didn't get out of my unfortunate stories, something that also helps me in the future.
0: You're a fantasist making up that story for a start.
1: Okay. (laughs) Peter, my second father, was a massive alcoholic. Despite being incredibly physically fit for his age, he couldn't avoid the throat cancer that years of drinking and smoking provided. I've only cried uncontrollably a couple of times in my life, and Peter's funeral was one of these places. Another loss to the skiing community was my dear friend, Nick. We were a racing pair. Okay, this is the story told me as well. Skiing side by side at speeds of over 200 kilometres an hour. We both lived a party life filled, but Nick had found love. He was engaged to be married in March 2002. You need to search this story out, Sarah. And his okay. beautiful partner, Jess. Oh, no. This is a different one, I think. He's told me the other one. He hasn't told me this one. Well,
0: maybe he's getting caught up in his own stories.
1: He hasn't told me this part, but Nick had found love, engaged to be married in March two thousand and two. Apparently, she's a doctor as well. A story that I think he's going to tell me. Yeah, okay, so it's not. I don't think he said it. More. She's a doctor. Yeah, and his beautiful partner Jess had their first bun in the oven. Okay, so he's saying he's pregnant. In late January two thousand and two, we were racing in a weekend event, in New South Wales. We were behind the fastest boat of the weekend, and on Saturday race, we had set the new course record, one that was held until twenty thirteen. We celebrated that night well into the early hours of the morning. Over that night, the rain had poured down. The river the race was on was swollen, and we all thought the Sunday race would be cancelled. It was what they called a blitz. Half the length of the Sunday race. We didn't need to prove anything. So when the organisers deemed the race safe, we agreed to just head out and get our adrenaline fix.
0: Where is this based? I'm just putting a death at water skier in race where?
1: New South Wales, I said.
0: New South Wales
1: 2002. And what, what year? 2002. Okay. So I thought he's going to tell me this story. He's marked up his stories because this, this story he said to me, he died on a bucks night and she was a doctor and she saw it happened and she couldn't save him. He fell off the back of a truck or What's
0: something.
1: What's her
0: name? What's her name? Jess. Okay. Is it true? Uh, oh. I've got water skier Sarah Tilo dies after her accident, New South Wales. Alright, well we need to
2: come back to this because okay. there's quite a lot. I'll dig on that. I need a notebook to make note of all these people. Hi Vanessa. Hi Amy. And hi, hi true crime, crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while. First in Amy's book of poetry Doe, and then in Vanessa's documentary, She. But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane. And each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz. And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts, or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories.
0: So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist the scams and cons podcast tells you how scams are run you'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art buy machines that print money or steal your house i get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out i can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction and you'll hear it from the experts People who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. I'm on
1: page seven of nine, so we're still coming up to chapter four. Business and pleasure. But I haven't read this bit yet. Right, let's get into it. Okay,
0: go.
1: Okay. About two kilometres from the finish line, Nick clipped a bit of driftwood that had come loose from the banks of the river. We were only doing about 120 kilometres an hour at the time, but it was a narrow section of the river. I saw Nick fall out of the corner of my eye, so I dropped the rope straight away so the boat could stop and pick us both up. Nick had done a couple of cartwheels and was skimming towards the bank. He didn't seem to be in control of the slide as he normally would be. He finally slowed down, but I could see he was c- unconscious. Sorry, I thought I heard someone's tip. What? Shh. Oh, my God, I don't want to look outside.
0: Fuck, please. I'm going to ring Mum. Hold on. Emma. There's no one there. Stop ringing. Don't ring it! Don't ring it! Don't ring it. There's no one there. Are you sure?
1: Yeah. Well, that didn't feel good. Um, I'm sure.
0: Where did you hear the noise?
1: It's fine. It's probably the cat. And I heard it on my dick. And my dick is not that loud. I'm just paranoid. Okay?
0: (laughs) Oh my god, you're okay? Jesus. What are we doing?
1: I'm trying to cope with the mucked up situation I've been thrown by dealing with this (laughs) any way I can. Okay, so... Uh, But it's the reality
0: of it, isn't it?
1: Yeah. He finally slowed down, but I could see he was unconscious. I swam as hard as I could, given you can't get out of the ski or suit by yourself. The wetsuits are designed to roll you onto your back in case of this event, and everything worked perfectly. Nick was awake when I got to him, and an ambulance was on the bank before I got there. We swam together to the paramedics and joked about that being the slowest crash we had both had. Nick fell asleep in the ambulance on the way to the hospital and never woke. He was 23. Okay. If that did happen, right. I feel bad for that.
0: Yeah, that's awful, but part of me thinks that that's not true. Like, you know, the other podcast, Who the Hell is Hamish? He killed off his identical twin brother to people several times that never existed.
1: He's mucking up his oh, two stories here from this Forgottenness Told Me that she was a doctor and that he died. Oh, it's amazing. You're right, though. They've got all these twisted stories. that brings me empathy and that he's been through some trauma. He's seen yeah. someone. Like, is there a con... Program or an online course? Like, I don't I teach online breathing, but is there a con course? <laughs> it there must be. I
0: think it's called Prison Emma.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I never ski raced again. I replaced the adrenaline with stronger drinks. About a month after Nick's passing, I was asked to move to Western Australia to try my hand at AFL, Australian Football League. Let's just go back here. Uh, he had also told me that, that this is earlier had already been picked for this uh, at school so I don't know again if this is going true
0: oh right interesting okay
1: uh, I'd previously been a soccer goalkeeper and we did tell me that and my kick had been noticed by the Australian Institute of Sport I was also quick something I can thank Sam for Sam will come back in the story later as he was exceptionally quick and he introduced me to track running 100 and 200 metres something very useful when you are a special agent for more than a distance of 100 metres. Sam and I were two members of a team of who cleaned up at the school age track events, specialising in 4x100, 4x200, 4x400 relay events. Sam was the backbone and always brought it home. Just after my 21st birthday, March 2002, I was draft, drafted to play for the West Coast Eagles. Still haven't found any evidence of this, but maybe we can. Now West we have to Coast
0: Eagles, there okay. We
1: go. I played 16 senior games with them prior to tearing my hamstring off the bone at the end of the season. I spent the summer of 2002 and then pre-season of 2003 getting fit and cook again. At start of 2003, I was transferred to play for Richmond Tigers in Melbourne. This greatly excited me as my grandfather, who also played for Richmond, unfortunately at the end of two thousand and three season, after 17 games at Richmond, I tore the same hamstring. He's already told me this story. Richmond kept me on for the 2004 season, but after struggling to trust my strings in the reserve side, I decided to ask to be delisted and returned to Hobart, where I returned to a job I had previously been offered in heavy haulage and civil construction. Here, the lies come about. It's so much easier he's put it into writing for me than me having to actually, like, go back. All Just forward this,
0: this straight to the police.
1: Yep. These injuries impacted every sport I was passionate about. I'd given up on karate as my time hadn't allowed. Water skiing had become purely a social only thing. And I spent the rest of my time driving the boat for my friends and their children. And I often had a bear in my lap, much the same way Peter did teaching me.
0: Well, as we come to the end of chapter three, let's have a little talk about the facts. You could probably hear me tip tap tapping away in the background, going down rabbit hole after rabbit hole to try and unwind just who this dude was. You know, when I wasn't chewing on my muesli. Embrace yourself for this shocking revelation. We could find no evidence of Andrew's AFL draft to the West Coast Eagles or any other AFL team for that matter. No reports of his professional water skiing competition wins, and certainly no evidence of any woman prepared to confess to a threesome with the Virgin Andrew. And lest we forget the tragic story of Nick and his untimely death via a lump of driftwood. And Now admit it, for just a split second, you felt a little sorry for Andrew then too, right? Well, don't. Because fast forward two years and Emma and I get a ping on our Facebook Messenger page that just happens to be from Nick. Great podcast, guys. Thanks, Nick. Much appreciated. FYI, I didn't die in a water skiing accident. Fair to say it was a bit of a blowout when I heard my name on the podcast. Fair to say Emma and I were having a bit of a blowout ourselves reading Nick's message. I certainly am real and still water skiing. We were actually pretty good mates, me and Andrew. We called him Action Man on the account of the far-fetched stories he told. I even remember the cardboard cutout of the Billabong model, air quotes, his girlfriend, that no one ever met. The last time I saw him, he even suggested my wife come and work for him as a chef. Thankfully, that never eventuated. Well, what a relief that was to Emma and I, and we didn't waste any time responding to Nick. Nick, we're so pleased to hear you're alive. We obviously kind of suspected as much. I mean, you did die very dramatically in his arms, and it probably would have been quite a tearjerker if it hadn't been written by such a jerk. Carry on skiing, watch out for submerged logs and friends that would kill you off before your time. Coming up in the next episode of the Tonka Trilogy. When I got
1: to my hotel, the girl on reception asked me so politely, are you here by yourself, sir? Yes, I am. Well, you'd better call some friends. You have a bowling alley and a full bar in your
0: room. Find out just how Andrew strikes it lucky. Pun intended. Is and don't it
1: down.
0: The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children.
2: What are you thinking?
0: What a mess! U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood and at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me, Murder in House Two, a new podcast from Crowd Network.
1: My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Maholovic. and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen Podcasts, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production.
0: Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows.